Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Thanks for joining us today for this episode. It's episode five of Revelation, God Rules, and the title is Four Horsemen and Seven Seals. It's the episode for Sunday, February 5th, 2023. We're glad you're here today. I don't know how you found us. I think we're the most hidden podcast on the internet. (laughs) But you're with us, and that's great. Well, we've been in this series now, as I mentioned, this is episode five, so this is a fifth week. And for the first uh, two or three weeks, I've kind of gone back and caught people up. I can't do that today. If this is the first time you've listened to Revelation, God Rules, you're going to have to go back and listen to the episodes prior to this, episodes one through four, in order to catch up. Now, today we come to uh, Revelation chapter six. But before we get there, let's set the stage. In Revelation 4.1, we have seen in the past recently that in Revelation 4.1, we see the rapture of the church. And I explained why I believe that's what that is. You may or may not understand it that way, but you haven't heard my explanation. So you need to go back and listen to episodes one through four. But that is the rapture of the church where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the air, not to the earth. He catches away his bride and takes his bride, the church, back to heaven. And then that leaves a massive vacuum, just a hole in the world system because so many Believers occupy so many important positions in this world. And as you know, any vacuum must be filled. It will be filled by something rushing into it. Now, it may be days or weeks or months. Some people say even years. I find that hard to wrap my mind around, but days, weeks, or months before we see the events listed in Revelation 6 through 19 occur. So we don't know, after the church is taken out, we don't know how quickly the tribulation begins or how quickly the Antichrist is revealed and all of those kinds of things. Now, by the way, the Antichrist can't be revealed until Jesus Christ allows it. That's the whole point of God rules, revelation. Jesus Christ is in control, not the Antichrist. That's a very important point. Now, we're going to see the seven seal judgments, the wrath of the Lamb poured out from heaven upon the earth dwellers, You remember that I've mentioned several times already that in the book of the Revelation, there is a very common uh, dichotomy or comparison. There's like two sides in the book of the Revelation. There are the heavenly citizens. Where is your citizenship? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's in heaven. 
But for those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the earth dwellers. They are the ones who are completely at home in and completely immersed in this world system. Their view, spiritually speaking, doesn't even rise above the dirt on which they live. Now, I can say that because I used to be an earth dweller. But when I met the Lord Jesus Christ and was born again, I gained from him, not because I was so great, I gained from him my heavenly citizenship. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have had that occur as well. And the benefit is we know how it is to be a heavenly citizen, yes, but we can also remember what it was like to be an earth dweller. Now, what we're going to see today happens after the rapture of the church and after the seven-year covenant with Israel is signed by the one we call the Antichrist, the beast. Now, you need to do some catching up by reading the entire book of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you want the the shorter route to it, you can go to Daniel chapter 9. But I wish that you would read the entire book. And you will understand from reading the book of Daniel, you will understand the book of the Revelation so much more uh, easily. Now, I want you to think of what we're going to read another way. You know how in a movie, many times in a movie scene, there will be a long shot and that long shot may be from uh, you know many feet away, or it could be hundreds of feet away, or a mile away, or something, some great distance. But you can see what's in the foreground, but also very far past that. This is like a an epic long shot in a movie, and what we see is what is going to happen in the Earth's future in mankind's future, in the earth dweller's future, from the point the rapture happens until the return of Jesus Christ, not in the air the second time, but to the earth occurs. Now I want you to listen as we go through Revelation 6 today, and don't despair, we're going to go to Revelation 7 and a few verses into Revelation 8, and it's going to go super fast. But I want you to listen for how totally in control is the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, listen for the fact that it is he that breaks the scroll seals that we're going to see. It is he that calls forth the writers. He seals his servants in the forehead. So it's not the Antichrist breaking the scroll seals. The Antichrist is not calling forth the writers. The Antichrist is not, uh, uh, he's not the only one that seals his followers in the forehead or the right hand, right? The Lord Jesus Christ does that first when he seals his servants in their forehead. So he one-ups the Antichrist. Think of it like that. So he's not in charge. And even though the Lord Jesus Christ may 
uh, used the four creatures, for example, to call forth the riders. You'll see what I mean in a minute. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ calling the shots, not the Antichrist. God rules. Know that. Now, let's go to Revelation 6, and we're going to read the chapter. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. I believe, and most students of Bible prophecy believe, that this is the appearance of the Antichrist. And this happens, he, he, may, he appears earlier, obviously, when he signs the covenant with Israel at the start of the tribulation, that is actually the start, that covenant of peace that signed with the nation Israel, but he begins to wreak havoc for sure uh, in the midpoint of the tribulation. That's where people begin to realize who he really is. Now, it goes on uh, and says he rides a white horse. So, well, does that sound familiar? Well, conquerors often rode into a city they conquered on a white horse. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back on a white horse. So it's not surprising the Antichrist also shows up on a white, a white horse. And notice that he has a bow, and many times it's been pointed out that it doesn't mention arrows. That doesn't mean he doesn't have them, but he has that bow, but he apparently is not using them because he conquers initially through peace. Now, there will be warfare involved later for certain. So we see the Antichrist on the scene. Verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. It's interesting that he, he doesn't unleash killing, I mean directly, but he removes peace from the earth and mankind does what comes naturally. Mankind murders one another and fights one another in wars. So peace is taken from the earth and there is great bloodshed. Verse five in Revelation six. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. You know, like the scales of justice, that idea. Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. One of the things that's going to be characteristic of the tribulation time, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, that is Israel's trouble in particular, is going to be food scarcity. 
Talk about food deserts. The entire world is going to be like that. It doesn't mean there's not going to be any food, but there will be much, much less, and it will be extremely expensive. I don't have time to go into the weights and measures of antiquity. Just know this, that it will take somebody's entire day's wages of a, a normal working person to earn about a quart of wheat like that would be allotted to a Roman legionnaire. Everything he makes that day to even buy a quart of wheat. Think of it like a loaf of bread if you want to. And barley is a, a lesser uh, grain that poorer people might use, and they can get more for that penny, but it would take their entire amount of money they earned that day just to feed. Now, now note this, one person. What if that person has a family and they're not earning a wage or an income? And then it says at the end of verse 6, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now that's exactly what you think it is, oil and wine. And it seems odd, but it seems to suggest, I believe it's pretty clear, it tells us that during the tribulation there will be extreme scarcity of food and it will be very expensive, but there will still be oil and wine and that may indicate, I think it indicates, that the people who make a lot more money will still be able to get the luxury items and things that they would like and want. So we're talking about an extreme gap between the ridiculously wealthy and the extremely impoverished. You know, we kind of see that starting to happen today. And when he had opened the fourth seal, and I should point out, by the way, that scrolls in ancient times were sealed for security purposes with a little wax and the, the writer of the scroll would put his signet ring in the wax. And when you got that scroll, you would know it had not been opened and not tampered with. Well, this scroll has seven seals and the Lord is opening those, okay? Now, verse seven. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. Think of that like that greenish gray look of a dead body. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell, that's the word for Hades in Greek, Hades is, is the word for hell here. And hell, as the abode of the dead, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This would be people like Antipas, that's already been mentioned in the book of the Revelation, Polycarp that we know of from church history, and probably millions of others who have been 
who have been killed not only throughout history, but <laughs> we're going to see that the Lord acknowledges this. And people have been slain because they love the Word of God and they testify to the Lord Jesus Christ and they will not renounce Him. This, of course, infuriates Satan. Now look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? There's that phrase, earth dwellers, again. Verse 11, and white robes. This is the Greek word stole, where, like we talk about a mink stole. It's the idea here of a luxurious robe that would be worn by the very rich or the uh, very distinguished, like a governor or something in ancient times. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. It's interesting that word season is the word for a, a little time, like counting days and weeks and months you know, minutes, hours, days, weeks, and months. It's not the word for uh, season like a, like a phase of time. So there's a plan here. That's what you need to know. That they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven. This is the word that we, uh, aster, we would get the word asteroid from this. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree, casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men, that would be like princes, and the rich men, that means exactly what it says it is, the, the fabulously wealthy, and the chief captains. This is the Greek word kiliarchs. These would be the commanders of legions. And the mighty men, that is, you think of somebody who's, uh, you know, dominant in industry or business or has some other distinction which makes him a very strong person and the mighty men, and every bondman, that's a slave, and every free man. What it's saying here is everybody that's left on the earth is not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, you know, what they ought to do is repent, right? But they don't and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath 
of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Did you know that the world has almost, allegedly, I don't know how they actually know this, but allegedly, the world has 8 billion people? Did you know that? That's what they tell us. I looked it up, and the internet never lies, right? 8 billion people. By the way, if you took all the people alive today and gave everybody about three square feet of space to stand in, you could pretty much put everybody in the world within the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. I know that sounds crazy, but people who are math majors have figured that out. Now, there's a lot more people alive today, so maybe it's Jacksonville and one other city. The point is the earth is not overpopulated. It's not. But that's, the, that's what we've been told our entire lifetime. If you don't believe me, then you figure it out. You do the math. But did you notice it mentioned in this passage that we read? Let's see which verse that was. Verse 8, that the pale horse, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. You remember reading that just a moment ago? Let's apply that to the something like 7.8888 billion people that are allegedly alive on the earth today. Now, I even I can do this, man. That's a fourth of that is 1.97 billion people dead. Now, there has never been anything like that kind of death toll remotely like that ever, ever in history, ever. That's a staggering prediction. But it will happen exactly as the Lord describes it. You know, depending on how many people are on the, on the world, uh, on the earth, when the tribulation happens, a fourth of them will die in that. Now, uh, the way I read the book of the Revelation, then there's death of other segments that also unfolds from that. And it's in a staggering number of people that will perish during the Revelation, during the uh, tribulation, I should say, of the book of the Revelation. Now, did you know that there's something at the federal level in the United States called it's a program called C-O-O-P, COOP, like chicken coop. And it stands for, um, man, I had this down cold yesterday and I can't remember now. It, it's, it has to do, the, the, I can't remember the, the words and the letters now, but it has to do with the continuity of government. Should there be a, like, for example, a nuclear war? And it derives from the U.S. Presidential Policy Directive number 40, where it discusses national essential functions. Under, this is what's so funny to me about this acronym. I, I apologize for not remembering what it stands for, but you can look it up. I found it like, boom, just like that. 
So if you want to know exactly what it stands for, but it does have to do with uh, keeping the government going no matter what. Surprise there, right? <laughs> anyway, under this policy in the United States, there's estimated that, let's say the government had to go underground and into bunkers, and that happened to some degree during 9-11. But let's say there was a really big war, uh, nuclear weapons, let's say, it's set up where 8,000 to 12,000 federal types, and you could think, you know, your president, vice president, Congress, and on down the food chain. I bet people start sweating when they get down to about uh, 11,999. Am I going to make the cut? 8,000 to 12,000 federal employees will be safely protected in underground bunkers or mountain bunkers, or so they think. We notice here that it mentions that very thing, that kind of idea where the those who are able to will hide in the mountains like, a, like they have in Switzerland. Did you know that some of the mountains in Switzerland are honeycombed with mountain bunkers? And they have just an incredible number of underground bunkers in Switzerland and virtually all of Switzerland's in the mountains. Well, maybe that's why the World Economic Forum meets there, so they can run to the mountains. Maybe they're the people that are talked about right here. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? <laughs> wow, well, they won't be able to stand. That's the point. And it's interesting, though, I did a little more research because I know you would want to know this. There's a, a complex in the United States. I think the only people who knew where it was have been killed. <laughs> You know, it's that secretive, allegedly, called Cheyenne Mountain Complex somewhere near Colorado Springs, Colorado. Another example is Site R, Raven Rock. That's near Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Hey, I don't even know where that is, people, so don't get me in trouble. I barely know where Pennsylvania is, but that relates more to the Pentagon. And then... There's what is called Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center near Bluemont, Virginia, and that has more to do with FEMA. You know, when you think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing. There are companies, I'll, I'll give you two that are easy to find, Rising S Company in Murchison, Texas, and another, another one called Atlas Security Systems, I don't know where they're based. That's just two examples. I'm sure there are more who build bunkers for the people who can afford it. The wealthy, you know, the super rich. Um, I mean, I think they also build things from, you know, tornado shelters and that kind of thing, all the way up to nuclear bunkers. And they can't build them fast enough. People can't pay them money fast enough. I mean, it's amazing. You, you ought to research that a little bit. And no doubt in my mind that the World Economic Forum types and the uber wealthy 
fill in the blanks there, have already built, you know, they already all have their own bunkers. And it's pretty well known that it appears that they think something is coming to the earth. Now, there's a lot of suggestions for what that might be. I think it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they know that, maybe they don't. But they think something is coming to the earth and they've gotten ready. Talk about preppers. That's the real preppers here, people. <laughs> While they make fun of those who put aside a little food or supplies, you know, they've already done that uh, on steroids to make sure they make it through whatever's coming. But I notice here, they're not going to make it through that because they'll be found to be fighting against Jesus Christ. And that's the dumbest thing somebody could do. Oh, well, they'll pay the price. Revelation 7, 1 through 17. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Now think of that like, um, you know, the, the compass. It has four points, if that helps you. Holding the four winds of the earth. So you can't hold the wind. Well, you can if you're an angel and you're told to. Amen. Holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, I don't know if you have any idea how different that would be. We take the wind for granted, but if all of the winds stop blowing like, it, like God created it to do, Everybody would sit up and take notice. It's just always there. And then all of a sudden, all over the world is not. Wow. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, right about now, people who are trapped unknowingly within Augustinian theology, where St. Augustine and uh, I believe it was Origen, they both tried to blend Christian truth with Greek philosophy, and they just made a mess of everything theologically because they were looking at things unlike how the apostles and the early church fathers looked at it. And we know that for certain because we have the writings of the early church fathers and we know what the apostles taught. So, and I've, I've been over all of that. You got to go back and listen and your jaw will drop open when you listen to what's there. Some of you will have to change your theological thinking but anyway, within Augustinian theology, 
the problem with it is it allegorizes and spiritualizes everything. And you can't, then you can't make the Bible make sense because it isn't what you think it is. It's really this. An allegory is some spiritual, you know, picture or something like that. I think this is pretty obvious that an angel with the seal of the living God seals 144,000 people from the tribe of the children of Israel. That's blatantly clear. Now remember, as we've seen, that in Revelation 1 through 3, uh, we had the word church and churches over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And then boom, Revelation 4.1, the church is not referred to again until we see the church coming with the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 19 from heaven. And you have to ask the obvious question, <laughs> how did the church get there? It was through the rapture of the church. In Revelation 4, 1, that's why we see the 24 elders in heaven immediately after Revelation 4, 1. They represent the church and their priestly service as priests and kings to God. Go back and listen to the longer explanation of that. But right here, just in case we missed what it said in verse 4, Let's see this delineated. Verse 5 of Revelation 7. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Now I'm going to ask you a question. How many were sealed from each tribe is clear, 12,000. And you multiply that times 12, you get 144,000. There's literally 144,000 people sealed with the seal of the living God on their forehead by this angel. And they're not just any people. They're 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of what? Israel. It doesn't say the church. The church doesn't mean Israel. And Israel doesn't mean the church. There's going to be a, a remnant of Israel that will be supernaturally protected as they bear witness to the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be indestructible until their work is done. Now, uh, somebody, a, a very well-known writer in Christian circles about prophecy, 
likened them unto 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. I think that might be pretty close. The whole world is going to hear that Jesus Christ is the true Savior, the true Messiah, as opposed to the fake Savior and fake Messiah, the Antichrist. All right, let's go to verse 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? So John is asked this question by one of the elders, and the elders represent the church. Well, we've just seen the remnant of Israel mentioned. We see the elder representing the church asking the question, and yet there's this great body of believers in heaven. They're not part of the church. They're not part of Israel. Who are they? Well, let's find out. They're not part of the 144,000, I should say. So let's see what the answer is. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, Thou knowest, you see, John would have recognized them if they'd have been the church or Israel, for that matter, the 144,000, the remnant that's mentioned here earlier. But John didn't understand who, who are these. And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You could say that these are tribulation believers in Jesus Christ who refuse the mark of the Antichrist and refuse to worship the Antichrist. And they were martyred, they were slaughtered for that. Look in verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God 
shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Again, think about this. If the church, as Christ's witnesses, goes through the tribulation, some of you may be saying, well, well, they do. That's what I believe. Then here's a question. Why is there a need for 144,000 to testify to Jesus? You see, we know the church is already sealed, not in their forehead with the seal of the living God as 144,000 are from every tribe of Israel. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we are born again. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's true. We know that from the Bible. And the church is in heaven at Revelation 4, verse 1, because we see the 24 elders. Wow. Man, are we having this explained to us by the book itself, by Revelation itself? Now, let's go to Revelation 8. We're only going to look at the first five verses in this podcast episode. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of an hour. Now think about it. So far in the book of the Revelation, up through Revelation 1 through 7, we have seen heaven to be a place of great worship and joy and celebration and and great energy and activity, worshiping God our Father, Jesus Christ the Lamb, and, and worshiping the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And it's been a, in a good way, a thunderous, massive place of worship. And, and I can only imagine that crowd that were martyred during the tribulation, a multitude that could not be numbered, just the roar of worship and praise for God. And then we read, though, in Revelation 8.1, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Uh Uh-oh, something's up. Verse two, and I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And we're gonna we're gonna see this uh, in the next episode in in detail. Uh, I think there may be other reasons, but I think that there's silence in heaven at this point because heaven realizes the gravity and the magnitude of the trumpet judgments which are about to be poured out on the earth dwellers. And heaven goes silent for about 30 minutes. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense 
that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Silence in heaven is only the start and it only gets worse from here for the earth dwellers. Now I'm going to ask you today, as we've kind of seen that long view from the rapture to the return of Christ in Revelation 6, and we've seen these these judgments poured out on the earth dwellers, we've seen those in heaven, which group do you belong to? Are you only an earth dweller? I mean, you don't know how to be anything else. You've never been anything else but an earth dweller. But you don't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ being a heavenly citizen. You can make that switch today. And I hope you're encouraged today if you are a heavenly citizen. We're on the winning side and the victory is coming. Hang in there. I want to give you a phone number if you would like to speak with someone about your eternal destiny, how to become a Christian, how to grow in your Christian faith. Call this number. I'll say it twice. 888-388-2683. One more time. 888-388-2683. Call that number and a counselor will talk with you about your need for Christ or how to grow in your Christian faith. Well, I'll tell you what, if the Lord doesn't come first in the rapture of the church, and man, as I look around me, I'm thinking like, man, that could happen. If the Lord doesn't come first, and the deep state of the World Economic Forum don't put a double tap on my head, then I'll be back next week with episode six of Revelation God Rules. Would you please like this episode, follow the podcast, and share it with someone today? That would be greatly appreciated. Tell them where they can listen also at www.dredhill.podbean.com, the home of This Week in the Word. Bye-bye.